Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges, and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Scott Luton, Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's episode. Greg, how you doing? I'm doing well, Scott. I'm just adjusting my watch back to Eastern time. I was in the Central time zone this weekend. so Right. Now, uh, celebrating a big Chiefs win. That was a great game. Any uh, quick commentary on... On as we get into the final four of the NFL's playoffs here? Well, I mean, uh, you talk about the classic winning the battle and potentially losing the war. Um, our field general took a pretty good hit uh, during that game, so we'll see if he's able to go for the mm-hmm. game against the Bengals in the AFC Championship. Well, at least uh, the Kansas City Chiefs will be hosting the Bengals, and, and good luck to Tricia and Cincinnati Bengals, all the Bengals fans out there, at one of the best Stadium experiences in all of sports uh, there in Kansas City, right? Yes, and Bengals fans, for all of their kvetching over neutral side games, they get to experience a non-neutral side <laughs> game. You're welcome. <laughs> all right, a lot more to come. We'll break we'll break the game down next week maybe. But, uh, but today, Greg, as you know, as everyone out there knows, it's all about the Supply Chain Buzz where we share some of the yeah. leading stories, developments, trends, you name it, across global business. We've got uh, a chock full slate here today. And folks, hey, we want to hear from you too. So it's not just about uh, Greg and I's take on these topics and stories we're going to be we're going to be working our way through. Well, really, Scott, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, we want to hear from you. So of we want input. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Use that chat toolbar, the cheap seats, the sky suite, you name it, uh, to share what your take is on these things we work through. Okay, so Greg um, one, a uh, couple of program notes before we get started here. I'm going to share this uh, graphic. It is Happy Chinese New Year to all that celebrate. 2023, Greg, is the year of the rabbit. Right. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> I guess since it's the year of the rabbit, every day will be hump day. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. So, interestingly, this is a, a really important date for supply chain, right? Because um, it's not a New Year's Day celebration. Sometimes it's 30 or 60 days or more celebration wherein all of the workers go home. Almost apparently very few live in in the town where they're actually employed. And they take some time off and then they come back and they don't all come back at once. So it's not like capacity in China is shut off for a day or a week and then comes back 100%. It tends to trickle back on. So that is something, a disruption that supply chain professionals have been planning for, for decades. That is such a great call out, Greg. Uh, so uh, let us know, what's your take uh, on what's going to take place and the disruption that offers up each and every year. But to all those that celebrate, uh, happy uh, new year to you. Um, all right. So Greg, also over the weekend, uh, we released with that said, the latest edition we almost have 20,000 subscribers to our LinkedIn newsletter. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, that is crazy. What are you people thinking? <laughs> but thank you, first off. Great way to, yeah, of course, thank you. It's a great way to open your Saturday, right? That is right. That is right. Well, I think you've done a good job with that, Scott, not making it boring, kind of supply chain 
just completely supply chain oriented news. It's general and it's very informative and, and, uh, and interesting. So. Man, that is high praise coming from one Greg White. Thank you very much. Well, let's put it this way. I actually read it. So, I mean, <laughs> even higher praise. knows what that means. Read it. <laughs> well, folks, uh, Greg's right. You know, we very intentionally, the team here, wanted not to create another newsletter that, that replicates everything else we're doing. We wanted a different take, and we wanted a more general uh, approach as we look to educate uh, the market, the the. the one percent that may not know uh, what sub- global supply chain does, but we also wanted just uh, a heavy dose of business history in that too, because, well, frankly, I'm a big history nerd, Greg, as you know. So y'all check that out. Uh, this past Saturday is all about the rise of the Concord. Uh, fascinating, fascinating uh, story there, and it ties in, Greg, because the uh, Concord began commercial service on January 21st, 1976. So really cool there. Uh, Greg, and the Concorde changed industry in many ways, do you think? For a while, it seems to have. I'm surprised that, you know, it started, it stopped, and it came back again. I'm surprised that there's not another alternative because, the, you know, the New York-London corridor that it facilitated was really critical. But then again, you think about the fact that, as we've experienced over the last three years, you don't necessarily have to be there. Uh-huh. to have uh, you know an important meeting because of other other technologies like we're using right now that's a great that point. enable a real live interactive meeting without actually being there excellent point the concord moves almost as fast as gregory s white's brain <laughs> but certainly not as fast as the internet right I mean, <laughs> right um all right. So, f- folks, y'all check that out. We'll drop a link to the latest edition of With That Said in the chat. And let us know what you think. Let's say hello to a few folks. Greg, we got a packed, jam-packed house today. we got Shelly Phillips yeah, back with us from snowy Colorado. They've had a lot of snow out that way. Uh, great to see you, Shelly. Mark Preston, my dear friend uh, from sunny Peachtree City. A little bit warmer in Peachtree City, you think, Greg? Hey. <laughs> We're on the wrong side of town, Scott. Uh, I'll tell you. Uh, Tevin Taylor, the one and only, says good morning from Big D, and he means Dallas. No Cowboys comments, Greg. <laughs> no reason to discuss the Cowboys, is there, Tevin? <laughs> oh, Tevin, uh, all, nothing but love here from Greg and I. You know that. <laughs> actually, actually, that was a hard-fought game, and it mm. it was uh, it was a really defensive game. I think it actually probably helped, and I know this probably hurts Tevin too. Probably helped. Uh, Philadelphia on how to defend the, you know, uber successful Brock Purdy because four field goals and one touchdown right exposed a lot of weaknesses in that offense. That's a good point. Good point. Uh all right. But Tevin, great to have you here. Congrats on your new initiative. We'll get caught up soon. Uh yeah. let's see. Kamisha says, Happy lunar year from New York City. Uh the break is a well-deserved break for my dedicated partners in the APEC region. That's a great way of looking at it, isn't it, Greg? Yeah. And they take full advantage of it. I mean, I, I think it's it's one of those few holidays that has remained in kind of original form, right? Agreed. It's still a very long term. Uh, Agreed. Uh, Catherine, of course, uh, happy Buzz Day, everybody. She wants to know who else is joining her on YouTube. Hey, YouTube is an easy way to engage and, and watch all of our shows, especially our live shows. So y'all check that out. Hey, Leah Luton, love spending a noon hour with you guys on Mondays. A lot of love there. That's right. That is right. 
<laughs> not gonna be able to hit everybody, but hello, also Greg. We love uh, your all of your comments you put on uh, in, in interaction shows and across social. So hope this finds you well in frigid Wisconsin. I bet Scott. I, uh, so Catherine shared something with us the other day that like seventy percent of podcast content is being consumed on YouTube now. Wow. No subscription necessary. You know, obviously now the biggest search engine in the world. Great. I mean, most of the top searches are done via video rather than than just text. Um, So, you know, I guess it's interesting to see it going that way. And also you can see a lot of our colleagues finally coming along with video in their podcasts as we've been doing for years now. Scott Luton, always ahead of the curve. (laughs) <laughs> too kind, too kind. High fives uh, all the way around. That's a great call out. You know, I'm a big, big YouTube fan long before we were doing, you know, what we do here at Supply Chain Now and just the ease and convenience. And, you know, better yet, Greg, uh, you can pay a few bucks a month and you get rid of all the ads. So uh, how few bucks? It's um, goodness. Well, you get like six months free uh, and then it's like 20 bucks a month or something like that. Oh, so that little pitch that comes up frequently when I go to YouTube, I thought they were always advertising YouTube TV. I've just quit looking at that. That might be worthwhile, but like any of us need yet another subscription, paid subscription, right? Right. Amen to that. I feel like I'm probably paying 400 bucks a month for prescriptions I don't use. Oh, that's brutal. Um, All right. So all that aside, y'all check us out on YouTube. It is easy uh, to not only consume... Uh, our content, but engage and participate. And that's where the secret sauce is. Okay. So Greg, getting back to the news of the day and welcome everybody. I know we couldn't hit everybody. Uh, really appreciate y'all being with us here every Monday at 12 noon for the supply chain buzz. So getting, getting the work, Greg. So I want to start with a story here from yeah. one of your very popular supply chain commentaries. This one I think uh, hit last week. So Amazon, as you put it, I think is making brands put their money where their mouth is in a yep. brand new way. So Greg, Tell us more. Well, they're fulfilled by Amazon. FBA service um, has cost them literally billions in excessive storage costs because of the poor performance of some of their sellers. So their sellers just pile in inventory um, based on no particular analysis. And and guess who foots the bill for the for the storage? Because there wasn't a, a way for Amazon to evaluate how much storage a particular company undertook, all they got paid for, and they get paid handsomely, let's not kid ourselves, but all they get paid for was fulfilling those goods. So they have billions of dollars that they are spending for for storage that is unnecessary. So what they're trying to do is motivate companies to be more efficient and more, uh, well, I mean, more circumspect about how they determine where they'll put inventory. So I think a lot of companies have, or a lot of people in, in the commentary, they took this as yet another fee by Amazon. But in fact, you can actually offset the fee all the way to zero if your forecasting is good enough. So basically, it's an auction for extra inventory storage. And of course, a lot of that extra inventory storage comes f- before Prime Day or Prime Week now. I guess we confess that it's a whole week. Um, and, and peak seasons and new product introductions and things like that. The hardest parts, by the way, of supply chain and demand to forecast. But the cost, so what you do is the highest bidder gets 
the, the most and the best space, but you can offset that cost by the sales performance for the inventory that uses up that space all the way down to zero if you're, if you're good enough. So it's a, it's a good motivator. And I wonder if it's not a motivator that other 3PLs who have to be chock full of dead inventory um, will also consider. Although some 3PLs, they do charge you for the space as well as the fulfillment. And I think um, Amazon took a really, really good approach enabling you to bid for it and, and get the money back if, you know, and, and motivating the right action. So, yeah. uh, you know, the goal is to get them people much, much more thoughtful about that inventory. And as you said, put your money where your mouth is. That's right. Uh, so y'all check it out. You got a ton, uh, you know, Greg's commentary is always spot on entertaining and, and informative thought-provoking, but I loved reading all the responses to your commentary. So we dropped the link to it, uh, the uh, the LinkedIn original post. Again, uh, it's based on a story that our friends at Supply Chain Dive brought to us. So y'all check that out. Hey, one other quick Amazon-related note, Greg, before we move to the next story, is um, I read that they're discontinuing their Smile program, which I've been using for years. Yes, I saw that too. That's not, uh, your, your quick thoughts there. Well, I mean... Uh, the last estimate I saw, because I, I use Smile, even though they've tried to make it really hard to use. Like if you use the Amazon app, it doesn't go to Smile. So you have to actually use a website and you have to make sure you go to smile.amazon.com. Okay. And, and these are your last chances. I think it's it's very soon. It may be as soon as uh, February 1st or March 1st that Smile yep. is going the way of the one. So um but I, I think it must cost them a pile to fund Smile. Yep. So they're giving it the boot, um, which is is a travesty because I I I think it's a really really good cause. But it's four hundred and fifty three million dollars. Wow, well, was roughly the number I think they said. Well, I'm I'm disappointed as well, and uh, I find myself uh, I've already been finding myself lo- using Amazon a little bit less in recent months as we look at some other local options that are really competitive as well. But I was really, I, I want to say I've used Smile 60 times, I think is the stats, just in the last few months. And I love yeah. the program, right? Love the program. But you know what? It's not my money at Amazon. They can do what they want. And Actually, it is your money, Scott. I mean, <laughs> believe me, you're paying for it, right? Uh, that's a good point. It's, good it's point. built into the price that you're paying. I mean, if you, in the old days, I don't know how they shield it now, but in the old days, you could look at your price on Smile and your price on regular Amazon and see that they were different. Now, they mu- and that's probably part of the issue is they've started burying it in the cost. So it's spread out among everyone. Uh-huh. But when you do that, you start to see that $453 million uh, margin erosion. It becomes really, really apparent when you aren't adding it to the cost of the goods. So. Excellent I think it's, point. you know, uh, a bit of how they've structured it, uh, but it is a travesty because that's how I, that's how I do most of my donation to the Dave Krejci Foundation. Same. And small charities like that, it's hard for them to, to generate revenue. And it's just such a great resource. You just pick one and it's almost like your own little personal foundation. Right. It's just so easy and it's, and it's yeah. such good news and an instant impact. So uh, I'm disappointed with that as well, but we'll see. We'll see maybe um, how it's all rolled out and, and maybe a, uh, it'd be great if there's a substitute put in its place, but we'll see. Well, I wonder. So some of your local um, resources, two things, Scott. One, yes. 
consumer demand is absolutely cratering right now, yep. um, which we're going to discuss when we talk about the right. next topic. No, the topic. Well, both of the next talk topics. <laughs> it's absolutely cratering right now. So everyone's using Amazon less, which makes that those kind of costs that much more apparent. And I'm curious about some of these other um, channels, marketplaces, whatever that you're using for those things. And I wonder if they have those kind of options, because I would definitely switch if they do. It's a great point. Great. And, and you're right. Yeah, a little look ahead. We're going to talk more about Pulse of the Consumer here in just a minute. Uh, before we do, quick shout out, uh, Clements, MBA student in operations, supply chain management, insert for professional internship or job in supply chain. She's based in Cameroon. And, and folks, she asked a, uh, a great question about being bilingual. So so uh, folks in the, in the chat, y'all check out what she's asking. I'd love for y'all to address that and give us your take on the value of speaking multiple languages and getting the Get, get a role in, in supply chain management? Yes. I mean, the short answer is yes, right? <laughs> right. Scott? I think yes. it depends, is, has to be part of the answer as to what that, um, as to what that language is. English, right. yes. Chinese, yes. Um, and I think a lot of the, the, you know, other places in the world, there are so many dialects that it's hard to really do that. India and Africa have so many different right. languages and dialects within those languages and, and um, the Arab Peninsula as well. So. It's harder to do that. It's almost like the American South. Lots of different dialects in the American South. Hey, speaking of, Greg, I'm giving it away with that. Yeah. Uh, any any thought about what that is a shot, where that shot was uh, captured in the, in the ground? It has to be Fort Savannah. That's the bridge uh, over the Savannah River from from Georgia to South Carolina, right? That is right. And we're, all, we're still waiting for finalized 2022 um, uh, data, but... It will be an all-time record in terms of freight coming through the Port of Savannah. Talk about a difficult perspective. Um, that bridge has to be 200 feet above the Savannah River. And with that shot, it doesn't look anywhere near it. That boat <laughs> is probably three miles south uh, or east of that bridge yep. to, to give it that shot. I mean, you'll notice you don't see cars on there, and that's because <laughs> or, or semis. <laughs> Because the walls on that bridge are as tall as a semi. So mm. it's really hard to get a good view going over that thing, isn't it, Scott? It sure is. It sure <laughs> is. Um, I love that color commentary. What a beautiful shot, though. Uh, now, moving officially to our next story here. As reported by Reuters and according to data released by the U.S. Department of Commerce, Greg, the U.S. trade deficit, the delta between imports and exports, decreased to $61.5 billion in November that is a 21% decrease in the biggest drop in almost 14 years. Now, imports fell 6.4%, no doubt, uh, undoubtedly fueled by less consumer demand, which I think Greg already touched on. Exports also fell 2%, uh, the stronger U.S. dollar impacting that figure, no doubt. So, Greg, your thoughts on the trade deficit and and really, you know, how important is it? Uh, that That's one thing I, I was uh, looking to get perspective from a variety of true economists, because I am not to be confused by an economist, but your, your thoughts in general, Greg. Um, yeah, not, a, not an economist. And, <laughs> and on this topic, not even right as often as they are on the topic of recession, that sort of thing, much better. Um, yeah, I think the lower demand thing it, is what the largest impact was, which is funny because I had not really thought about that. You know, we even talked about this off air before we came on, but Scott, if, if you have a percentage decrease in a number that's much larger, 
and a percentage decrease in the lumber that's much smaller, it's very possible to close that gap, right? Because um, the the unit volume or the dollar volume is substantially greater. But it is a little bit of a confused market like we're experiencing in a lot of ways now, right? Lower demand, higher interest rates impacting it. But a stronger dollar, right, should, well, I guess it, it makes... Uh, it makes foreign goods cheaper in the States, which motivates people to move to foreign goods. And right. of course it makes items um, exported by the U S more expensive, which is part of the downturn, but maybe, I, I mean, I'm not sure why, uh, why that Delta, we really could use a pros, a pros right. insult here. Right. So if you're an economist, uh, shoot us a note, give us your take on the trade deficit, some of the things that Greg mentioned there. You're going to... Yeah, a couple things. One, we're coming off a record uh, deficit in Q1. And I, I don't mean record deficit over the last year. I mean, over the last 10 years, the deficit reached something like negative $275 billion, And it's coming back relatively quickly. I don't know how sustainable that is if, as many economists predict, dollar strength will continue throughout the year. Um, and... And as global monetary, global, not just U.S. monetary tightening increases. Um, and of course, as the U.S. fades into recession, recession hopefully fades, not leaps uh, into recession. Um, but still, I, it, it's confusing enough that those of us who are not economists could really use some insight. So, Agreed. So speak up. Gang, that's something we talked about before we came on the air, too. We want to get an economist. and. A neutral, broad-based economist, not of a company, not focused only on transportation or you know, or even just supply chain. Um, like many of the economists we bring on here, they're, they're incredibly valuable for supply chain economics. But, but this is more global. And of course, we all, especially in this day and age, recognize how much global economics impact supply chain as well as the other parts of any business. So... Um, Gosh, I guess we should just call that an open call for economists, right? That's right. And someone that can help me with my accounting homework from college, those, deb those pesky debits and credits. That'd be great. Um, all right. So, folks, just <laughs> putting a cap on that, uh, talking about trade deficit, we got a link to this article uh, in the chat as well. I want to say hello to a couple of folks really quick. Kamisha, going back to the Amazon story, says Amazon should consult Warren Buffett and revisit the smile model. Looks like they didn't have long-term vision. Okay, great take uh, there, Kamisha. It is. That is a great take, and it, and it has a lot to do with their 14 core principles as a company, right, which is a bias for action. Now, one of their other core principles is also be right a lot. <laughs> right. So that doesn't, it's not be right always. Of course, you want to have the opportunity to, to take some risks and, and maybe some things don't work. It's possible they bring it back or they could construct it in a new mechanism. So, mm. um, but before I, t I talk to Amazon about what they ought to do to construct it in a, in a new mechanism, I'm going to call a friend of mine who has a company that, that trades carbon credits and say, you should make this part of your solution. Ah. You know who you are out there, Jason. So. <laughs> I love that. And Kamisha, great point. Uh, Shelly says the Amazon prices are like Kelly. I bet this is Kelly Barner's. Find the hat story on expense reports. We're going to have to dig that up. Uh, but Shelly, I uh, hope this uh, uh, great to have you here as always. And man, you're talking about the Ann Rice of global business with Kelly Barner. I'm going to check out that episode. Um, Let's see. Peter Bollet, all night and all day, is back with us. Good afternoon to you. 
And he says to fellow supply chainers, and he weighs in, thank you very much, Peter, on uh, Clemence's uh, bilingual questions. Excellent. Love that, uh, Peter. Great to have you here as always. Glormar, hey, good morning from California. It's been a while. Uh, it has. And I hope you've had a great start to the year. Okay. So, Greg, let's keep moving, man. Let's keep moving. Um, I'm paying attention, but I'm literally texting Jason right now. Oh, okay? good. If you see me look down, it's all it's all business related. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Good. 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 Um, folks, quick public service announcement. PSA. I think. Right. Got my acronyms right. Um, so leveraging logistics for Ukraine. We talk about this a lot. You know, we're very proud to be part of this initiative. That's not even a year old. But Greg, they've already moved over six hundred seventy thousand pounds of vetted, targeted humanitarian aid. It's going to get to folks in need. Vector Global Logistics has been leading this. Uh, they do so much good good work across the globe. Uh, and then, of course, they lean on an, an ecosystem of supporters and, and folks that can help uh, in a variety of different ways. So all that is driven, Greg, by a monthly planning session. The next one is February 7th at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. As we always like to say, even if you can't donate anything, can't contribute anything, hey, be a part of the meeting. You'll walk away a lot more informed. And you'll be part of that community, even if it's just good vibes you're contributing. Greg, your quick thoughts here. Yeah, I mean, and, it, and no matter what you contribute, it results in something greater than good vibes. I mean, we've had people just share ideas that have turned into action that help people over there. Or as importantly, Scott, the people helping the people from Ukraine, which has largely fallen on uh, Poland and Romania and some of the other bordering countries around there. So. Um, you know, go there and spit out a fractured sentence or maybe even just listen and and watch it uh, turn into action. I've seen it done. It's really, really very impressive. Absolutely. And this is true deeds, not words. Six hundred Over 670,000 pounds. And they also, part of this was they sent uplifting, inspirational letters to Ukrainian school children. Over 2,200 letters, Craig. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, folks. It's all about deeds, not words. Y'all check that out. We've got a link. Uh, if if Amanda or Catherine, big thanks to both of y'all, by the way. If y'all drop a link to that next meeting or to the Vector page about that, that'd be great. Um, okay. Uh, hey, hey, Natalie, great to see you here today. Welcome back. Always enjoy your perspective. Adrian Betts. I think Adrian chimed in on your commentary the other day. Uh, great to see Adrian yes. here today. And ask and you shall find it. The team's put uh, Kelly Barner's LinkedIn, find the hat article right there at your fingertips. I love that. Man, Johnny on the spot, huh, Greg? All right, moving right along. Now, this is not my, this is uh, ranks last on my list of stories that we're going to be covering here today, right? But we've all, hey, look, we've, got a, it, it, we've all seen it in news time and time again for a couple months now. Uh, and we're talking about the massive tidal wave of layoffs, but in particular tech layoffs. The team over at CNN Business is tracking all the developments. Uh, last week, some of the latest companies to announce layoffs were Google's parent company, Alphabet. When, we can probably drop saying Google's parent company. Everybody should now know, Greg, who we're talking about with Alphabet, right? Well, now that you've said that, they should. Right. I mean, <laughs> I assume everyone is listening now. Right. That's right. Someone you know isn't listening, be sure to tell them. That's right. Tell them two things. One, Alphabet equals Google. Two. You know that if you listen to Supply Chain Now. You know that, man. All right. <laughs> Alphabet, Microsoft, Fox Media. Earlier this month, amongst others, it was Amazon and Salesforce. Now, note, 
The announced layoffs, as I mentioned on the front end, are hitting just about every industry, to be fair. But big tech has probably been hit the hardest. And it's related, amongst other things, to the massive hiring that, of course, tech firms conducted during the pandemic, right? Uh, but Greg, your thoughts here, you know, technology veteran, startup veteran, been there, done that so many times. Yeah. Um, your thoughts here on what's going on in the tech sector. Well, so the source that people use is a site called layoffs.fyi. I love some of these new, um, whatever you want to call those, um, dots. Uh, <laughs> so you can you have a dot for everything now. Um, we do. And, and I've been following that since the beginning of last year when there were 153,000 layoffs in tech. And I want to be clear about this. That's just for what they call monitored companies. Um, they don't monitor every single company. Oh. So if you're below a certain size, even layoffs.fyi doesn't know, can't track where you uh, have laid something off. A lot of these companies are public. Some are publicly private, meaning they share uh, information virtually as as freely as public companies are obligated to. So they're easier to track the data for. In fact, the numbers, some estimates say layoffs last year just in the tech tech, tech sector exceeded 220,000. Wow. So, um, it, and it was not quite at the pace that it is this year. And the pace this year is going to accelerate. I have it on good authority that there are many, many what are called rifts that have not yet been announced. But it is earning season for a lot of public companies. Not just in tech will this occur, as we've seen, because one of the things that the CNN article talks about is McDonald's, which people may or may not know, not a tech company. Right. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of rifts that haven't been announced yet, my hunch. Yes. Is there's going to be a certain field goal kicker for a certain professional football team that will probably be looking for their next opportunity very, very soon. He can make field goals. He just can't make extra points. <laughs> okay. Right? It's kind of important. He made two long field goals yesterday. He just couldn't make an extra point. And the one <laughs> oh. that got blocked, and Tevin probably knows this already, but the one that got blocked was not going to make it. That's right. It was, that right. was already outside the goalpost at the line of scrimmage. <laughs> I had my protractor out looking at that angle before it got blocked. You're, you're dead on the money, Greg. Um, okay. Well, kid, hey, kidding aside, folks, uh, we share these you know news about tech layoffs because it's important news development. I've seen some great initiatives on LinkedIn in particular about folks pooling uh, resources for uh, for those that have found themselves to be victims of all the layoffs. Y'all you know, check that out. Lean into your network. You know, if there's anything – you know, uh, lean into that network you've built, you know, make LinkedIn earn the subscription uh, that you're probably paying. And if we can help, you know, we're going to try to uh, connect some of the dots for all of y'all out there. Hey, can I just wrap that thought up? Because that's an excellent point. Don't get the job you deserve. Right. And don't get don't feel like you're on your own out there getting that job. Do lean on that network. I, I was talking to somebody this weekend and they said they wanted to do they wanted to get it the honorable way. And I said, forget that. Get it the way everyone else gets their job is mm. from people who know and trust them, their work and their value. Leverage that 100%. And, and you might be surprised who those people are. Mm. Don't miss anyone in your network. If somebody, as, as I have told people forever, it's not who you know. It's not what you know. It's who knows you. Those right. people that know you can and will be glad to give you a leg up as you as you go through a search. 
Um, and the other is that is, is encouraging is that uh, so many people who have lost their job through these layoffs through last year and into this year have gotten better paying and sometimes even better jobs at other places right. in very short order. So uh, make good use of LinkedIn and whatever jobs indeed and whatever other job sites are out there. Right. Agreed. That's right. Uh, let's see. T squared who holds down Fort force on YouTube along with Catherine now uh, says that, uh, that layoff service is definitely a form of risk heading hedging and belated new year's wishes to you both. T squared. I've really enjoyed Thanks, all Tom. of your perspective uh, yeah. over the last year. Okay. So moving right along a well, much, much, uh, I call I'll call it a brighter note, at least, uh, not nearly as dreary, I'll call it. So, Greg. Yeah, anything's a brighter note than t- talking about layoffs. That's right. That is right. Uh, so, Greg, uh, you and I were chatting uh, last week, I think it was, uh, about Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger, I think I said that right, making those comments at uh, Davos uh, with regard to semiconductors being more important than oil for the next 50 years. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing that. Now, you mentioned, and rightly so, in particular, about how important it is as to where semiconductors will be built in the coming decades. And that's where you, you tend to agree with him and, and me and you both, as a matter of fact. So I want to dive into some data from our great friends over at Visual Capitalist. Folks, if Visual Capitalist is not on your radar of wonderful resources, it should be. Yeah. Uh, so as it relates to the recent computer chip market snapshot, I want to pull this up here. Let's look at this. Again, this is from our friends at Visual Capitalist. As of December 2021, now it's about a year old, um, TSMC in Taiwan controlled 54% of the semiconductor market. Uh, companies in, in Taiwan in general uh, accounted for 63% of the entire market. South Korea, distant second, 18% of the market with Samsung making up the lion's share of that. Mainland China accounts for 6%. But Greg, as you pointed out, you know, uh, you we probably should combine. Taiwan might as well be China. That's right. Because they can make it China at any moment. That is right. Now, so so this perhaps doesn't surprise many people, but some folks may be a little bit surprised. Um, Greg, when we, when we think about those comments from Intel and we think about moving forward, and of course, we all see the you know, Intel alone, alone has $110 billion of investment is putting into its infrastructure in the U.S. and, and uh, Europe. Um what are some thoughts that come to your mind about the semiconductor market? Uh, well, let's start with that $110 billion and thank you to the American taxpayer for that. Right. Because some huge portion of that $110 billion is coming from the, whatever that is, the CHIPS Act, um, which your legislators are giving to these companies to bring chip making into the states. So let, let's acknowledge that. The other is that part of the problem is not the production. In fact, the greatest portion of the, of the problem is that 80, 86% of rare earth elements that are required to make chips come from China. Mm. And you can't cumulatively, because, and it's not just because they come from China, it's because they come from the ground in China, yep. right? A country which will... <laughs> ruthlessly and environmentally with complete environmental disregard, mine anything to make money. Mm. So um, not, not only do they have a greater store of these things in the ground in their portion of the world, but also they are much more aggressive at mining these things. And rare earth elements are usually in this, in the 
uh, outer substrate of the of the earth, meaning they are scraping the face of the planet for um, for these materials. So we can't make up that difference anywhere or in the accumulation of the entirety of the rest of the world, at least not any stores of rare earth elements that have yet been found. So that's problem number one. Two is let's acknowledge that, what was his first name? Mr. Gelsinger? Pat. 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 Let's call him Pat. We know him well enough now. Let's acknowledge that Pat was at Davos where you have to make, you know, you have to make bold statements to establish yourself as a world leader. Um, Two, he's the CEO of Intel. um, So his bias is significant. Three, guess what most of the other materials are made of in a semiconductor, if they're not made from rare earth elements, fossil fuels. Um, And, and four, I, I think that where, where they're made over the course of the next five decades is a more accurate statement. They yes. may, it, they may become this whole chip thing may become more important than oil over the next five decades, but it's not right now. Right. It's impossible for that to be the case. I don't know if anyone has seen a recent advert. Uh, if, if you watch American football, you probably saw it 20 times this week, <laughs> a recent advert by the fossil fuel industry where they're showing all the things that just evaporate off your body, out of your house, out of stores and restaurants and things like that. If there are no fossil fuels and you can just see it, it's a really brilliant graphic, what they've done, the impact of fossil fuels that we don't even recognize right. this zipper, this shirt, right? The band on this watch, your tennis shoes are almost entirely right. fossil fuels. Um, all kinds of things that like that, it's impossible for anything to have that much importance in the world. Now, as regards national security and geopolitical um, impact, which is largely what he was focused on, it's possible for it to have much, much more influence over the next decades. Um, But I mean, let's face it. um, Nobody was complaining about the price of semiconductors at the, at the grocery store. (laughs) <laughs> or at the gas station. Right. Right. And you can't fill your tank with semiconductors. <laughs> not yet, at least. Wait, yeah. uh, Nerf, uh, and, and Nerf may or may not be with us here today. I uh, own the uh, LinkedIn article that prompted a lot of our discussion. Uh, he may, he brought water to an oil and semiconductor fight. And he, he's like, hey, we got to be talking water when we talk about what's going to impact things in the next 50 years. It's a great comment, Nerf. Great comment. Yeah, I think so too. I think, first of all, let's acknowledge that. Um, water doesn't go away. Clean water goes away. Right. Right. When water evaporates, what's it become? Clouds. What do clouds become? Rain. What does rain become? The ocean, the lakes, the groundwater. So yep. water never goes away. What we're really talking about, to Nerf's point, is clean water. That's we're right. not running out of water. We're running out of clean water. <laughs> right. Right. Excellent point. Excellent point. And uh, getting back to the source here, Wallace. Great move, uh, and you know, and I'm not sharing the best, my favorite part about uh, what Visual Capitalist does because I'm sharing some of the underlying data within. They they put on they, they build the 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 most artistic and captivating um, infographics and 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 of the sort, really based on business information data. So while it's great to see you, great to have you here with us here today. Okay, on a related note, Greg, on a related note, uh, and and substrate, you mentioned hey, what a great word, man. I got more. Your vocabulary is just like. Goodness, the size of my uncle's Cadillac. 
as long as nobody checks whether I should have used the word <laughs> substrate or not. Right, right. So I want to move right along. And of course, you know, um, and we're, we're not going to have time to talk about it today, but man, China and Taiwan, you know, it's going to be really interesting to monitor this in, in, the, in the coming months and years, right? Especially with uh, semiconductors um, on our radar. Let's talk about, I'm sure. sorry, I have to talk about that particular point. The official stance of the United States of America, the government of the United States of America, is that China's claim to Taiwan is legitimate. Right. And the official position of of um, the U.S. in terms of, regardless of what our president says in his various states of ineptitude, um, re- the, the official policy or the official position is that we will let them take over Taiwan if they decide they're going to. Well, what's also interesting about that, Greg, is, is strategic uh, ambigu- um, ambiguity is almost the the defense posturing by the U.S. has been for decades. Yeah. So it, it's it's fascinating on a variety of levels. <clears throat> and uh, we're going to keep, of course, our finger on the pulse. But it is tacit approval nonetheless. Right. The strategic right. ambiguity is strategically keeping the American people effectively uninformed on right. their real their real policy. No, you, you're absolutely right. Because um, there's that diplomatic stance. And then there's how will the U.S. formally and in a policy-driven uh, way react. And that's where they're, they're keeping uh, that very intentionally uh, ambiguous. I right. Man, if you ask me to say that word one more time, I'm going to fail miserably. So we're going to that term though. I mean, it's a really cool word to say or <laughs> phrase to say strategic ambiguity. That's right. Strategic ambiguity. We're going to find some other examples of that. That may mean we don't know, but it certainly <laughs> means you don't know. Right. You know what I'm- uh, and Mark says, $10 for a bottled water. Used to draw it from a well for free. Times they are a-changing. Mark, great to have you here. Depending on where you are. <laughs> That's right. All right. So I want to share this graphic here because I want to move into, um, you know, as uh, EV market, battery associated battery production has been in the news as much as computer chips in recent years. And lots of new plants have been announced in many places. Greg, right here in Georgia, right? Several big projects have been announced. One of the biggest, I think this is still the biggest thus far, mm-hmm. $5.5 billion investment in an electric vehicle and battery plant being made by Hyundai down near Savannah, right? Savannah's going to be a theme of the show here today. But Georgia has announced beyond that, by my rough count at least, over $10 billion in new plants, thousands upon thousands of jobs related to batteries and battery components in the last 18 months or so. Uh, from uh, from Augusta to right outside of Savannah to Commerce, Georgia. What, by the way, Greg, do folks from Commerce, they call them commercials? I've always wondered about that. But uh, we'll save that for another day. Uh, now, when you look <laughs> when, you, when you look globally at who controls the battery industry, I'll check out this graphic here. It shouldn't surprise anybody. Uh, back Going back to Greg's perspective. This, this could be the other. Right. <laughs> this could be the other graphic. Seriously. So, right. Um, you look at globally who controls the battery industry, according to data, again, from the visual capitalist, China accounts for 77% of the current battery market. Poland and the U.S. come in at a very distant second, 6% each. They even project, Greg, U.S. battery production capacity, as evidenced by all these, all these sites getting broken ground, is going to grow by 10x by 2027. But even then, in 2027, just four years away, China is still projected to account for 69%. Of the battery market, I think this is just it. So a lot of it is intuitive, 
But still, when you stop and think about it, man, your thoughts, Greg. Well, I saved this thought till we talked about both of these topics, and that is we need to fundamentally change how we build semiconductors and batteries for two reasons. One, China controls the means of, of resource and production. Um, and two, I, this is my opinion, but I think it's it, it has been affirmed to be many people's opinion. I can't say it's a majority or anything, but many people I've talked to, we are trading one way of destroying the earth for another. And that is we're, we're moving from fossil fuels to stripping the face off of the entire planet to get these rare earth minerals and to get the other elements, lithium and other elements that are required for um, battery uh, creation. So um, we need to think about how we could build batteries differently to be able to be more environmentally friendly with our solution for the environment. All we're doing really is shifting the the environmental destruction to different countries and to different areas of the environment from the air to the actual planet itself. And, and I just don't see it as sustainable. So we have to figure something out. And there are companies out there trying to do, do it. Fission, right, has become right. Uh, a topic of late. And I think that, I, you know, I don't know enough about it to know whether that's doable. There have been attempts made as early as the 1990s to create air air batteries, AER right. batteries. Um, and while that didn't take off, I had a good friend who worked for a company like that that unfortunately was probably way ahead of their time. Mm. Um, there has to be some combination of technologies that help us both meet the demands, which obviously are not going down, um, because medicine continues to keep people alive longer. There are people right. out there that believe that your viable life is 140 years. Wow. Trying not to chuckle. Um, <laughs> but, um, and and um, so that means the population will grow, though we will take a pretty substantial dip until about 2050 or around 2050 as the baby boomers die off. And, and the population that is reproducing less and reprodu reproducing less often, reproducing fewer children and less likely to reproduce um, as they continue to slow the population or Actually, there will be an inversion. Population decline is now inevitable, but right, that's right. But it will start to come back. So we've got to think about that. Um, you know that eventuality. So we will relieve demand to some extent. But remember that the generations that are coming forward, they assume things like technology and and you know um, automotive transport and various things like that. They don't like the means of. Of fuel, and I think right. most of us would agree with that. We don't like the means uh, and the effect of the fuel that we use today, but the the effect of creating the alternative is equally as destructive to the environment, just not in a way you can see and smell. Yep, well said there. And speaking of the population, I think the last time I looked at that data, twenty twenty five is when India will surpass China, based on current projections, as the most populous country in the world. That's just um, two years from now. It is. That's right. And, and what you also pointed out, Greg, is the shifting demographics uh, when it comes, especially as it relates and how it will impact the Chinese workforce is something to stop and, and look at, too. So y'all check that out. Um, OK, Greg, I cannot believe it. I can never believe when we finish ahead of schedule, especially when we jam pack so much into the buzz here today. I've got 1247. So, uh, Greg, we get a chance to talk football or Greg White's weekend. 
Uh, well, or same topic, by the way. Well, so let let me ask you this then, and and folks, hey, let us know your highlights of the weekend, or uh, a new story you're tracking, or or you, you name it. Uh, we'll try to reference that over the last ten minutes of the show. So, Greg, you and I had a, a great opportunity, along with Amanda and Vicky, to go out and take in the Chiefs game against the um, Broncos a couple weeks back. Um, and one of my favorite things that we had, thanks to your market intel, um, was uh, the, what was the pizza place that was Minsky's Pizza? Yes, Minsky's Pizza, which was founded, I believe, by the same person that founded Godfather's Pizza. Is that right, Greg? Yeah, the original founder of Godfather's Pizza. That's right. So, folks, sharing a little, little, little travel tip: if you happen to be in Kansas City and you got a hankering for really good pizza, especially as I think Greg called it, uh, it's not thin, it's not thick. It's just right. It's like the porridge from the old fable. It's just in the middle. It's like a nice mid crust. And folks, it was delicious. Greg, your thoughts. And what was the best thing you had this past weekend? So it was pretty much a whirlwind uh, this past weekend. Uh, yes. If you loved Godfather's pizza or even liked it, Minsky's is close, very, very close to it. A, a pretty yeasty crust. If anyone is a Godfather's pizza fan. Pretty yeasty crust, but uh, relatively thin. Not not New York thin, and not um, Chicago thick, and closer to the thin side. But yep. very good and good quality ingredients on the pizza, uh, and a lot of Chiefs fans. If you <laughs> like that, um, but uh, this weekend it, it was pretty quick. Flew in the day of the game, um, went to the game. <laughs> Had dinner at at my favorite steak restaurant in in Kansas City, Stock Hill. Some of the old standards have gone the way of the one. The Hereford House was um, was top of the list, and there are a couple that I haven't tried yet, and there are a few that I have tried, and they just don't cut the mustard. <laughs> um, so, did not get to go have barbecue, but will this weekend. I've manipulated the schedule to be able to do that, and um, or have I? I think, uh, um, but anyway, it was a great weekend. Um, terrible weather. It right. was cold and first snowy, then rainy, then snowy again. It made tailgating a challenge. Um, but inside the stadium, it's almost like there's heaters inside that stadium. I don't right. know what it is. It's probably all the standing up and yelling, uh, that people are doing that heats that place. So, uh, it was great. It was a great environment. I've got to tell you, um, you know, for years when the Chiefs were terrible until about 2016, 17, the Jaguars used to just pound us. Mm. I mean, we could be on a great run. And if we played the Jags or we played the Dolphins or something about Florida teams, it would stomp our guts out. So I have <laughs> no empathy for Jaguars fans. But they and and for a team with a relatively small fan base at least towards the beginning of the season right. they did turn out they they tried to put together their own chant in the stadium and i think they made a little noise so i'm impressed and there's good things coming uh scott as you know trevor lawrence is a local boy from cartersville georgia yep came out to the league the same time justin fields did from right here in marietta well kennesaw technically but yep um and and he showed an incredible um, incredible prowess in a really, really difficult environment. We have melted down the crowd in, in, um, Arrowhead has melted down much, much more experienced quarterbacks, much more quickly. Derek, Carr. right. 
Um, so I think, I think uh, there, there's a good future for Trevor Lawrence, which irks me because that's all we need is one more great AFC team. <laughs> right. He didn't throw that pass right there. That's Hunter Renfro catching the clinching pass from Deshaun Watson in Clemson's uh, 20. 20- oh, my gosh. I'd totally forgotten he's a Clemson boy. Yeah, that's so you right. might be a big fan too. Man, well, and as is uh, 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 Etienne. Uh, yeah. Etienne. Wow, I hate that guy. I love him and <laughs> I have so, so much respect for him, but, man, he is impossible to stop. He can catch. He can throw. He can run right through you. It is Man. truly very impressive to watch in person. Talented. Well, hey, appreciate that, Mark. Uh, appreciate it. We enjoyed the discussions. Well, enjoyed all the comments. No, we couldn't get to a bunch of them. Uh, but great to have you be a part and looking forward to reconnecting with you very soon. Natalie, loved Godfather's Pizza. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you. I like I like something. Uh, it's still, this, this chain is still around. It's called uh, Mr. Gaddy's. We had a Mr. Gaddy's in Aiken, South Carolina in my formative years. Spent a ton of time there, and uh, it we lost it probably in the early nineties. I don't know what year, um, but Mr. Gaddis is still around. It's got like dozens of franchises uh, mm. in the American, mainly in the Southeast. Uh, Natalie's also looking forward to a good game. I'm looking forward to a couple good games this coming weekend. Uh oh, this show just went sideways. <laughs> My mentioning Clemson. Oh, love it, Mark. Love it. Mark is a proud uh, Georgia Tech. Uh, fan and I think alumnus. Um, okay, so Greg, twelve fifty three. I want to circle back to one thing because I want to leave folks on an inspiring, um, engaging note here. Right? We we, yeah. we mentioned the layoffs. It's a, it, we we talked about it on the team call uh, Friday morning. Uh, it's a tough time for so many folks out there. Uh, it's, sometimes you'll see it, right? Um, you'll see it, and, and and folks will share it with you. And then some folks, of course, will suffer in silence. So uh, now's the time to be that good neighbor, re- lend out a hand. If it's as simple as opening the door for someone or, or saying good morning, right? Maybe giving folks the opposite of what they're expecting. Now's the time. There's always a good time to be a good neighbor, right? And someone that helps. But now is certainly a great time. Greg, your final thought, uh, challenge folks with before we wrap here. Yeah, I think, look, um, I feel like I've been saying this for a long time. But, th- I mean, there are some tough times ahead. Fortunately, The Economist, again. Almost never right, but still, um, at least they're taking a shot at it. Say this is going to be a shallow and short recession. So, um, and it's a natural cycle. It's not the end of of the world, though it is apparently going to be the end of bed and bo- or bath and body works. Mm, right, well, bath and body works. I want to make sure I get that right. And Party City, um, both of whom have or will declare bankruptcy very shortly. Um, but it will make the remaining companies stronger or it'll make even those companies come back stronger. And it will get people to start thinking about efficiency again, just like we led off with, with Amazon. Um, You know, companies get like the rest of us, like us human beings do get fat and happy when times are good and we don't tighten our belt until we absolutely have to. And um, clearly companies are starting to do that. It's going to create some struggles, but I feel like, you know, the American economy is so resilient. Whenever big companies start laying people off, more and more small companies come into the economy. And that is the beauty of this country. And uh, even in comparison, though, I love and respect all the con- all the good <laughs> countries out there. Um, it, it's, it's a uniqueness of what I've seen in terms of economies in the U.S. to be 
for someone just to decide to put, build a business out of their garage and be able to do it, do it, and I'm do do it, and I'm thinking of hundreds and hundreds of people just that I know that are doing it, and some of them aren't big tech exit companies. They're the companies they built because they had to sur- survive, and that you know that um, they've turned into something at least enough to support them, and in some cases to create jobs for others, right? So that's what we need to look out for. If you have ever been inclined to start something yourself, no, it ain't easy, but it's uh, very satisfying to do. That's right. And I like Kamisha. I like everyone. Shelly's take as well. Uh, Kamisha says, tough time for tech. I predict we'll see more amazing startups. I completely agree, Kamisha. Yeah. completely agree. I've, 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 I've talked about this uh, publicly before. You know, I lost my job in the accounting space of all places and the very next day became an entrepreneur. And that's what set us on this journey to building uh, supply chain now and impacting and moving the needle for so many folks out there. So, folks, if you get caught up, uh, the sun also rises. Uh, don't worry. Your next opportunity is around the corner. But, hey, you got to go to work. Got good work. Um, all right, folks. Now, if uh, now is the time, lean in, help out. We, we mentioned leveraging logistics for Ukraine. Join us on February 7th, 11 a.m. Eastern time. We've got a link to that in the comments. But whatever you do, Greg, you know where we're going to wrap this thing. I do. Uh, take an action. Deeds, not words. Take action for yourself and also for others, right? Lend a helping hand no matter how big, how small. But whatever you do on behalf of our entire team here, Greg White, Scott Luton, signing off for now, do good. Give forward and be the change. And we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.